see everyone. Um, I just, I, out of curiosity, how many of you grew up learning an instrument and Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee was one of your first songs you had to learn? Yeah, I see some hands out there. But it's a wonderfully simple tune, but it was years later when I, I saw the lyrics for it. I thought, this is just amazing. This is a, an amazing song. And I didn't realize it was just a nice little piano tune, but it's a great song. It's on page 29. Let's sing it together. Bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for the joy that is ours in Jesus Christ. The command is to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And certainly, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what situation we may find ourselves, we can always find joy in our Savior. We can always find joy in your promises. We can always find joy in your love and in your grace. And I pray, Father, that we would look to you for that joy and not to ourselves, not to this world, not to the temporal pleasures, but that rather we would find that true joy in you and in you alone. For indeed, that everlasting joy, that divine joy can be found in none other than you. 
And I pray that we would exemplify that to those around us, that they would see uh, one who is rejoicing, one who even in the midst of some sorrow perhaps and some heartache finds that joy in their Savior. May we be a reflection of you and as, even as Christ has, has said that uh, he told the disciples that he was going away and yet his joy would remain with them. We thank you, Father, that that joy has indeed remained with us. Thank you for our time together here tonight and for the opportunity to, to study your word, the opportunity to make our request known to you as we would uh, come to you in prayer. May we come with the right spirit and attitude. Again, Father, it is not a matter of us bending you to our will. It is a matter of us submitting ourselves to your will. And we would want to do that in our prayers tonight and, and seek that which you would have for us because we know that whatever it is you have for us is for our good. It's what's best. It's for your glory. And may we find our joy and our delight in that truth. Pray for our teens tonight as they are meeting and thank you for each one who's come. We know that there are many needs represented in the youth group tonight. Most of all, Father, there would be some perhaps that do not know Christ as their Savior and we'd ask that even tonight, they would see that need in their life, that they would see your truth, that they would apply it to their life, and that they would come to know Christ as their Savior, that they would accept his sacrifice in their behalf on the cross. We, we pray for the, the uh, children tonight as well. And Father, again, the gospel is, is simple enough to understand even for a child. And I pray that they would come to that understanding even this evening. Pray for each of the teachers, each of the helpers, each one who's involved. May they have your patience and your love for the teens and for the, the children as they meet tonight and as they interact with them. Just pray for a, a great evening that you would be glorified in it. Father, we are rejoicing as a church just in your many blessings. We again recognize that we are so undeserving you continue to meet our needs, you continue to, to move us forward, I pray that we would be seeking your will each step of the way. And Father, you may not show us uh, three months from now or six months from now, but it's important for us to just take this step that you have right before us, to take this step that you have for us tonight and get up in the morning and take the step that you have for us tomorrow morning and just to take it day by day and step by step as you would reveal your will to us. And I pray, Father, that we would not be hesitant to take the step that you have for us, that we'd not be hesitant or fearful to, to enter into your will. And no matter what that might be, I pray, Father, that we'd be humble, that we'd be surrendered, and that we'd be submissive to your spirit in our lives. We thank you for each one who's here tonight. Thank you for bringing them uh, together. Thank you, Father, that we are able to fellowship with one another. May we be an encouragement to one another. Help us, Father, to just uh, be good listeners. And if there's one among us who is struggling, one among us who is, who is hurting, that we would we'd be there for them, to be an encouragement to them. And in spite of perhaps our own needs at the moment, I pray, Father, that we would reach out to those around us. And I thank you for that opportunity and for that privilege. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue in praying tonight.
Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly this evening, thanking you and praising you for everything that you've done for us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the testimony of this church we've had over the years. Thank you for our pastoral leadership. You have so blessed us as a church with our finances, with our building, with those that give of their time freely to serve you, with the many members that we have, dear Holy Father. We thank you for the visitors that we have on a weekly basis. Help us to make them feel welcome. Help us to make them feel that this is their home church and they would like to join with us permanently, dear Holy Father. We thank you for Don and his many years of service to us and also with Mike and Eddie as they're having their various outreaches and the teens and the family ministry that they do. We just thank you for them. Help us to continue to be that light shining forth for you in our community. We know we have various outreaches throughout the year and help it to show fruit and bring people to our church, Germany Father. Guide us this evening, be with Don as he opens the word to us. We just thank you for this time of Bible study, for this time of prayer that we have. You've commanded us to publicly pray and we strive to do that as a church, Germany Father. Be with the underground, with the teens, with Eddie and the, the other leaders down there. Help them to be that light shining forth for you. Help them to present your word. And if somebody doesn't know you as their savior, let them come to know you this evening, dear Heavenly Father. Be with the Kids for Truth also as Lloyd and Susan are leading that. We just thank you for their ministry in that. And for the other leaders and guide them, help them to have a fruitful ministry in that also, dear Heavenly Father. Be with our country, dear Heavenly Father. We seem to be so divided. Help us to come back to the Christian morals and roots that our country was founded on. We uplift our leaders before you. We pray for them. Help them to look to you for their guidance and their decisions, Germany Father. Help them to work together for the good of our country, Germany Father. Be with us as we also have various other countries kind of knocking on our doorstep currently, Germany Father. And we just, just ask that you watch over us. Keep us safe as a country, dear Heavenly Father. We just thank you that we still have the freedom of religion here in our country. We know a lot of other countries don't have that right or face persecution, dear Heavenly Father. Help us not to do so, and if we do in the future, help us to speak boldly for you and be that testimony and servant that you'd have us to be, dear Heavenly Father. Guide those amongst us this evening that are 
having health issues, watch over them, heal their bodies if it be your will, help them to look to you and know that you are watching over them and guiding them. We just thank you that you are the ultimate healer. Guide the doctors as they treat the various members and people here in our church. We just know there's some serious health issues going on currently. We just raise them up before you now, dear Heavenly Father. Thank you that you have so blessed us as a congregation. Help us to be the light shining forth for you to those people we come in contact with, whether it be our family, neighbors, friends. Help them to see the light in us and know that we are Christians by our walk, dear Heavenly Father. Thank you again for everything that you've done for us. Help us to honor you in everything we say and do. In your name we pray. Amen. Father, we, we continue in prayer. We just want to thank you and praise you again, as always, for your love, your mercy, your grace that you pour out on us every day. As we, we walk with you day by day, uh, year in, year out, we see your faithfulness to us. And Father, I just want to thank you for that and for the how that increases our faith. And Father, I want to thank you for that, that faith that you give us that allows us to be able to trust you and obey you. And Father, I know that that only comes with a daily walk. It's like Don mentioned in his prayer. Uh, you know, uh, Psalm 119, there's a verse that says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It doesn't show us very far down the path, but it guides us every step of the way. It guides us one day at a time. You tell us to just worry about today. Don't worry about tomorrow. We don't even know if tomorrow's gonna gonna be here. And uh, so, Father, I just ask that you would help us to to trust you, to live your our lives as though we truly believe what is in your word. Uh, Father, we want to thank you for your word. We realize that uh, that book that you've given us, the Bible, it's not a book of rules and regulations. Uh, it was given to us by you. Uh, the principles that are in that book were given to us for uh, our good, for our protection. And that's why the psalmist, you know, says that, you know, he can behold your word and there's wondrous things in there. And it talks about the joy that we can have by studying your word and by meditating on your word and how your word will enlighten, enlighten, enlighten us so that we will see wondrous things in your word. And Father, we just pray that we won't 
take that for granted because I know that uh, here in America we have your word in our homes. Now, unfortunately, many of the Bibles that are in the homes in our country, they never, they never get cracked open. The people don't take time to read them. And uh, the struggles that our country is having right now and, and everything that's going on is, a lot of it is because of that very thing. We've neglected you, like you've said in Matthew 15. You know, you, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Father, I just pray that you will help us to come back to you, to turn to you. I know that there has been no revival in history that hasn't started without prayer and uh, confession and uh, just pouring ourselves out to you and realizing that uh, we can't do anything without your strength and, uh, you know, that we have, we have sinned. We're a people that are proud we look at our our wealth and think that that is your blessing so that we must be doing everything right because we're blessed by God and uh, father I just pray that you will help us to realize that that can be taken away proverbs is a verse that says that you know the riches can take wings like eagles and fly away and uh, we need to be aware of that we need to believe that. Father, I want to thank you for this church. I want to thank you for the fact that the truth is taught here. I want to thank you for these people that come out faithfully every week and so that we can engage in the fellowship and prayer and the Bible study. I want to thank you for the pastors that you have given us over the years, that they are men of integrity. I want to thank you for the unity that we've enjoyed as a church family here since since the conception and uh, I just ask that you'd be with Don tonight as he he brings the word uh, give him the strength that he needs uh, be with him I know he's struggling with his back but Father we just pray that you will strengthen him and uh, thank you for the word that you've laid on his heart that he's going to bring tonight Father, we just ask that uh, you will help us to be receptive to that and apply it to our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. I direct it to Ezekiel chapter 20. As we come to chapter 20 of Ezekiel, we see the rationale for judgment, and we see the restoration through judgment. In the rationale for judgment, God just once again explains why he needs to bring judgment upon Judah. But then in the end, he explains the goal of judgment, and that is restoration. He desires to restore Judah and Israel to their land. Throughout this chapter, again, we read those words that they might know that I am the Lord. They might know that I am the Lord. 
He wants them not just to give lip service to him, but life service to him, if you will. And so he brings this judgment in order to restore them so that they might know that he is indeed the Lord their God. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 20, came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. It's the seventh year in the fifth month. That's the seventh year of the captivity. They were taken in captivity about 597 B.C. So it's the seventh year of that captivity, which would put around 590 B.C. Ezekiel begins, if you remember back in, in chapter uh, 1, verses 1 and 2, we read that uh, the first time Ezekiel has a vision, it is the fifth year and the fourth month. And so now it's the seventh year and the fifth month. So it's two years and one month after chapter 1 of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel had that, that initial vision while he was a captive in Babylon. And so uh, around 590 B.C. Verse 2, Then came the word of the Lord unto me, saying, Son of man, speak unto the elders of Israel, and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Are you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Um, that may sound strange. You know, they're coming to inquire. You know, what, what does God have to say? And God says, I'm not going to be inquired of you. When it says they've come to inquire of the Lord, it's not that they're coming in humility. It's not that they're coming in repentance to see what God might have to say to them. It's the idea that they are coming to hear God's blessing upon them without repentance. They're coming to hear what God has to say to them without repenting before him and humbling themselves before them. And so they really are coming to Ezekiel uh, seeking great reports of blessing from the Lord. And God says, you're not going to hear that from me. In fact, what you're going to hear is judgment. And so he says, I'm not going to be inquired of you. If you, if you want to really hear what I have to say, you must come in repentance before me. Otherwise, it's only judgment. And so he says, I'll not be inquired of by you. In verse 4, will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Cause them to know the abominations of their fathers. That's what chapter 20 is all about. Causing them to know the abominations of their fathers. And he, he goes through now in chapter 20 the history of Israel. Their, their sin and idolatry and their abomination in Egypt. Their sin and idolatry and abomination in the wilderness as they came out of Egypt. Their sin and their abomination as they came into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And their sin and their idolatry and their abomination as they are now in Babylon as captives. He goes through that, that history of Israel. And as he goes through that history of Israel, he, he reiterates each time in each of those, Egypt, wilderness, Canaan. He, he says, I, I was about to destroy you. You deserved to be destroyed because of your sin and your idolatry. But for my name's sake, so that my name would be not be mocked among the nations, out of grace and mercy I spared you. Notice it in, in the verse 9. But I wrought for my name's sake that it should not be polluted before the nations among whom they were in whose sight I made myself known unto them and bringing them forth out of the land of Egypt. So for my name's sake I didn't destroy you. Uh, verse 14. But I wrought for my name's sake 
that it should not be polluted before the nations in whose sight I brought them out. Verse 22, Nevertheless, withdrew my hand and wrought for my name's sake that it should not be polluted in the sight of the nations in whose sight I brought them forth. So he said, I, I was, I, your sin deserved destruction. But for my name's sake, so that it wouldn't be polluted among the nations, I spared you out of my grace and my mercy. Verses 4 through 9 covers uh, their abominations in Egypt. Verse 5, and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, In the day when I chose Israel and lifted up my hand unto the seed of the house of Jacob, made myself known unto them in the land of Egypt, when I lifted up my hand unto them, saying, I am the Lord your God. In that day that I lifted up my hand unto them to bring them forth from the land of Egypt into a land that I had researched out for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. Then said I unto them, Cast you away every man the abominations of his eyes, and defile not yourself with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abominations of their eyes, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. So he says, even while they're in Egypt, I called on them to, to cast away their idols and their abominations and their, their rebellion, and they would not obey. And that's again when he comes to verse 9, he says, I, I could have destroyed you then, but for my namesake I did not, and in my mercy and grace I spared you. And then we come to verse 10, and verses 10 through 26, we have their sins in the wilderness as they came out of Egypt. Verse 10, wherefore I caused them to go forth out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. And I gave them my statutes and showed them my ordinances, which is if man do, he shall even live in them. It was when they came out of Egypt at the Mount Sinai that he gave them the Ten Commandments and, and the Mosaic Law, telling them how they needed to live their lives. And at that time, they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. But they continued in their abominations and in their idolatry. Verse 12, moreover also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctified them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They walked not in my statutes, and they despised my ordinances, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. And my Sabbaths they greatly polluted. Then I said I would pour out my fury upon them in the wilderness to consume them. But I wrought for my name's sake, that it should not be polluted before the nations in whose sight I brought them out. So I told them how they needed to live. They didn't obey me. I could have destroyed them, but for my name's sake, I spared them. Notice the emphasis there. In, in verse 12, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctified them. And then in verse 13, he says, uh, uh, they, uh, my Sabbaths they greatly polluted. Notice verse 16. Because they despised my ordinances and walked not in my statutes, but polluted my Sabbaths. In verse 19, I'm the Lord your God within, walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them and hollow my Sabbaths. And they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Notice verse 21 as well. Notwithstanding the children rebelled against me, they walked not in my statutes, neither kept my ordinances to do them, which if man do, he shall even live in them. They polluted my Sabbaths. Notice that repeat over and over again. One of the great abominations of Israel, of Judah, was that they polluted the Sabbath. Why was that such a, a great thing that Ezekiel emphasizes over and over here? They polluted the Sabbath. They didn't keep the Sabbath. 
And he says, this Sabbath was a sign between me and you. In verse 12 there, he says, it was a sign between me and you that I am the Lord who sanctified them. See, that's the key. The word sanctify means to, to set apart. Um, God set Israel apart to be a nation unto himself. And the Sabbath day was established. They were to set apart the Sabbath day unto God. And it was to be a sign to them of how God had set them apart unto himself. That's what the Sabbath was all about. It was to remind the children of Israel how that God had set them apart unto himself. And they were to set apart that one day unto the Lord as a Sabbath. Uh, you don't need to turn to it, but uh, let me just read back in uh, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you nor your son nor your daughter, your manservant nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. The word hallowed is the word sanctified. God set the Sabbath apart as a sign to Israel how he had set them apart unto himself. In polluting the Sabbath, in not setting it apart, they were losing that identity in their own mind of them being set apart by God, unto God, to keep his commandments, to obey him, that he would be their God, they wanted to become like the other nations. They were worshiping the nations of the other gods instead of recognizing them as set apart unto Jehovah. And in not setting apart the Sabbath, they lost the sign of being set apart unto Jehovah. Now, I don't want to get you confused in what I'm about to say. Um, we are not Israel. The church is not Israel. The United States of America is not Israel. The Sabbath day was for Israel as a sign between them and God that they had been set apart by God unto himself and they were to set apart that Sabbath day unto God. And so that was for Israel. It's not specifically for the church. We're not Israel. However, is there not a principle that we ought to glean from that? Are we as believers today, are we not the church sanctified unto God? Are we not as the church set apart unto God? And should we not also be setting apart a day unto God to remind us that we are set apart unto God? The early church chose the first day of the week, not the Sabbath as such, that Saturday. But the principle, I think, is, is there um, as a reminder for us that we are set apart unto God. Should we not set apart a day unto God in which we would, in a special way, worship Him? That's what we do on, on Sundays. However, as you're well aware, it seems more and more um, that day is not so much set apart. It just has become another day for many Christians. It's just become another day. We might show up in church. 
for an hour or so, and then we go on with our day, and we've got our soccer games and our softball games or whatever it might be. And again, don't misunderstand me. Is it a sin to play soccer on Sunday? No. But what's taking priority on Sunday? Are, are, we, are we really setting it apart as a day unto God? And, and, and again, the United States is not Israel. Um, but certainly as a nation, we have certainly walked away from any semblance at all of a day set apart unto God. Uh, that's, that's not part of the equation whatsoever. But there's a principle, I think, that we have lost that we need to uh, really consider. And, and that was one of the great accusations that God had against Israel. They did not keep the Sabbath. And that was a major reason why they did not set themselves apart onto Jehovah, but they became like the other nations, worshiping the gods of the other nations and their idols, the abominations of Egypt, the abominations of the Canaanites. They did not keep the Sabbath. Yes? Certainly. Yeah, it was uh, a lack of faith, um, which is that not part of why, as a nation, we've now just made seven days a week just another work day um, because we've just got to continue to produce, produce, produce. We don't have faith to trust God to meet our needs. Um, you know, in, in that agricultural society, um, you had to trust God. If you didn't work on that Sabbath, no work was going to get done. You had to trust God that things would be okay. And then you have the, um, you had the, the, uh, the, the Sabbath years where the, you weren't to do anything for an entire year to, to cultivate your land or anything. Man, talk about faith. You had to trust God that the fields would produce without cultivation. It was a matter of faith. Yeah, like, yeah. I think you need to take a break. Don't yeah. work, don't work. Yeah. And, you know, so in that same, he's gracious at the same time. He's giving man a break. He's, uh, he didn't say work twice as hard on Friday. So as you can take Saturday off, <laughs> it just trust me to meet your needs. And, uh, and it was for our good. God created in six days and on the seventh day he rested. Well, if God rested, maybe I should rest. So uh, I think there's just some principles there that we, you know, we, we tend to look at, you know, that one commandment of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We tend to look at that and say, well, that's not for us today, and we just ignore it. We completely forget it, not really considering what's a principle behind that. Maybe we're not to keep the Sabbath in the same way that Israel did and for the same a specific reason as a nation set apart unto God, but certainly there's a principle there that I think we need to think about and, and consider. Any other questions or comments? Specifically says, you know, that it's a sign in verse 12 there that, that they might know that I'm the Lord who sanctified them. That's what the Sabbath is all about, to remind them that God had sanctified them, that God had set them apart. So you set this day apart. I'm going to sanctify this day. I'm going to set this day apart for you as a reminder, as a sign. 
So down through verse 26, again, that's just verses 10 through 26, talking about their sins in the wilderness. We know that because of their sin in the wilderness, specifically when they refused to go into the promised land, God said, you're going to have to wander in this wilderness for 40 years. So he does bring that judgment upon them, and everyone 20 years old and upward died in the wilderness. So he brought that judgment upon them, but he did not destroy them. But then we read in verse 18, but I said unto their children in the wilderness. So everyone 20 years old and upward, they were going to die because they refused to go into the promised land. They didn't trust God. But then God said to their children, now you obey me. Learn from your your fathers. Learn from your parents. But I said unto their children in the wilderness, walk not in the statutes of your fathers, neither observe their ordinances, nor defy yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them and hollow my Sabbaths and they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me. So even the ones who were 20 years and under who uh, uh, did survive the wilderness wandering. They continued in their sin. And God said, I would have destroyed you then, but for my name's sake, I showed mercy, I showed grace, and I did bring you into the land of Canaan. We come to verse 27. Therefore, son of man, speak unto the house of Israel and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Yet in this your fathers have blasphemed me, in that they have committed a trespass against me. For when I had brought them into the land, for which I lifted up my hand to give it to them, then they saw every high hill and all the thick trees, and they offered there their sacrifices, and there they presented the provocation of their offering. There also they made their sweet savor and poured out there their drink offerings. Then I said unto them, What is the high place to which you go? And the name of it is called Bama unto this day. Bama or high place. He says, when you did come into the land of Canaan, I, I, I delivered you the promised land. I gave it to you. I gave you great victory over the Canaanites. You still continued in your idolatry and your abominations. You, you created these idolatrous places in the high places, in the mountains. You created your idolatry, your abominations. You continued to sin. You continued to rebel against me even as I brought you into the promised land. And then verse 30, he comes now to Ezekiel's time. They're they're now in Babylon in captivity. You would think that, okay, finally, now they would get the picture that they they would repent of their sin. They would not continue in their idolatry. That's not the case. You come to verse 30. Wherefore, say unto the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, are you polluted after the manner of your fathers and commit you harlotry after their abominations? For when you offer your gifts, when you make your sons to pass through the fire, you pollute yourselves with all your idols even unto this day. And shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. And that which comes into your mind shall not be at all that you say we will be as the nations, as the families of the country, so serve wood and stone. See, even unto this day, Ezekiel let them know, even unto this day, they continue in their idolatry. They continue in their sin. And he says, uh, um, I'm not going to be inquired of you. If you're coming without repentance, then I'm not going to pronounce blessing upon you. Only judgment. He says there in verse 32, 
And that which comes into your mind shall not be at all. In other words, in essence, what he's saying, what you hope for isn't going to happen. They were hoping for great blessing. They were hoping for, they're they're already in captivity, but now they're hoping for great blessing to be restored back to the land. And God says, not going to happen. Not going to happen because you have chosen not to be set apart unto me, but to be like the nations around you. As he says here, we will be as the nations, as the families of the countries in serving wood and stone. We're going we're to be like the other nations, and we're going to bow down to stone, uh, idols of stone and wood. We're not going to be set apart unto you. And because of that, you're not going to get what you hope for. You're not going to get what you want. Only judgment. And so he rehearses this history. There's sin in Egypt. There's sin in the wilderness. There's sin in Canaan promised land and even up to Ezekiel's day their sin in Babylon itself and so he's just pointing out why the judgments that are coming is indeed um, deserving but then and we have just a couple of minutes uh, with verse uh, 38 or verse 33 we have uh, uh, Starting with verse 33, we have the, the, the restoration of judgment. In other words, the goal is restoration, and that is going to come. Even here, he's not going to destroy them. He's going to judge them. Not going to destroy them, but verses 33 through 39, he's going to purge them. As I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with Fury poured out will I rule over you, and I will bring you out from the peoples, and will gather you out of the countries in which you are scattered, with a mighty hand, and with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there will I enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so will I enter into judgment with you, says the Lord God. And I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant, and I will purge out from among you the rebels and them that transgress against me. I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn and they shall not enter into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go, serve everyone as idols. And hereafter also, if you will not hearken unto me, but pollute my holy name, no more with your gifts and with your idols. So he says, I, I'm bringing this judgment to purge you. And once you are purged, I will restore you. Verse 40. For in mine holy mountain, in the mountain of the height of Israel, says the Lord God, there shall all the house of Israel and all of those in the land serve me. There will I accept them, and there will I require your offerings and the first fruits of your oblations with all your holy things. I will accept you with your sweet savor when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries in which you have been scattered, and I will be sanctified in you before the nations. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I shall bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I lifted up my hand to give it to your fathers. And there shall you remember your ways and all your doings in which you have been defiled. And you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for all your evils that you have committed. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have wrought with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt things. O you house of Israel, says the Lord God says, I will restore you. I will purge you, and I will restore you, and I will accept you, and I will accept your offerings. 
and I'm doing it for my name's sake so that the nations around you will see my blessing upon you and that the nations around you will not mock my name, but they will see how I have kept my promise and how I have kept my covenant with you as I restore you to the land. Ultimately, um, verses 38 through 44 here, ultimately that's fulfilled in the tribulation. Ultimately, that's fulfilled in the tribulation when God will purge the nation of Israel and then restore them to the land as God, Christ establishes his kingdom and we enter into, into the millennial kingdom. That's the ultimate fulfillment of those verses. As God will bring the Jewish people out of all the, the, the nations to which they've been scattered, bringing them back to Israel, back to their God, and then he will establish his millennial kingdom. The return from the Babylonian captivity, some, uh, you know, some 55 years after Ezekiel said this, that's when they were restored back to the land. They, they, they were able to go back to their land. That was, that was not the fulfillment of these verses. It was a foreshadowing of the fulfillment of these verses. In other words, Jewish people were allowed to go back after the Babylonian captivity, back to the land, but it was not the ultimate fulfillment of these verses. It was kind of a foreshadowing of what ultimately will happen as God restores the entire nation of Israel to himself. The entire nation of Israel was not restored at the Babylonian captivity, the return of the Babylonian captivity. Some were restored, some went back, but not the whole nation. So it's kind of a foreshadowing of what is to come, but that's what Ezekiel's talking about purpose, goal of judgment was not to destroy them, but to purge them and restore them out of his grace and out of his mercy. Do you have any questions or comments? Yeah, Greg. Yes, the, uh, the end of uh, the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24. That's uh, that's the same idea um, as Christ. Uh, he, Christ may have had this passage in mind when he was speaking it, for sure. Um, but it's that, that restoration of Israel. God will keep his promise. And I'll just put it this way, that's why I'm a dispensationalist. <laughs> that's the promise made to Israel. He didn't make that promise to me. He didn't make that promise to the church. He made it to Israel. So it's going to be fulfilled in Israel. Israel will be restored to their land. And uh, that's, that's his promise. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you so much again for your word and for your promises. We can trust those promises. We can trust you. And I pray, Father, that we would, we would recognize that though we're not Israel, you have indeed, as believers, set us apart unto yourself. We are sanctified. And I pray, Father, that we would see the principle of your word and that we would recognize the importance of, of setting apart a day for you in our own lives. It, it is a principle that I believe is, is still present today. And may we not lose sight of that, that truth that we are sanctified unto you and you have sanctified a day for us to set apart unto you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.